1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk
2: to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Get rid of your credit card debt, get a lower monthly payment, and skip your next two house payments at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to save thousands with savewithconrad.com. Find out how much money you can save right now at savewithconrad.com.
1: Words are about to be spoken here on The Extreme Life Matt Hardy, presented to you by the Ad-Free Shows and podcast Heat Network. I, of course, am John Alba, joined as I am every single week by the broken one, woken one, spoken one himself, Mr. Matt Hardy. That's me. That is you. How we doing this week, my friend? How are your travels? Uh,
2: I am doing well, man. Uh, travels were were okay. I uh, got in pretty pretty accurately as far as being on time, but- a very long weekend but a very good weekend a very very productive weekend we actually uh worked last friday and saturday at russell con in detroit and uh it was really cool because myself and jeff we were like one of the most promoted acts there but we ended up being the biggest selling act of the whole weekend and that includes people like sting and bret hart and kevin nash so uh it was very very cool that we did did big business there good business and then we traveled to New York City on Saturday night, and we had six hours, but it took seven hours to get everything done. And we finished everything up and, and made magic happen. So we had one of the longest signings we did, and we learned that we shattered their record. So we did almost 700 people there. Holy crap. With the amount of uh, you know memorabilia and different things that we signed. It's the most action wow. figures i have we ever signed in my career, for sure. Wow. Just a variety. Probably, I probably signed 75 different action figures of mine. Oh my goodness. And, and many of them multiple times. So it was, wow. it was, wild, but it was really good. And, good uh, and, and now, now I'm here in Columbus, Ohio. And tonight is uh, the Hardys versus the Bucks of Youth.
1: Yes, it is. It absolutely is. I'll get on that in just a second. I wanted to ask you about Jeff and GCW real quick here. That was a pretty cool little thing that happened this past weekend. Laid out Blake Christian with a twist of fate and then got to play a little bit of a concert, right?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, Jeff did that, and he ended up enjoying it. It was a, a good little experience for him, and uh, he he loves playing his music. I know you are a huge oh, yeah. live music advocate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, sure. you know, so So Jeff loves that. It, it soothes his soul, and that's probably what he's the most passionate about in his life right now, doing his music gigs. And uh, And I love the fact that he is going out and doing these signings because they can kind of, like, tack on a live performance gig with it. Uh, it, it and he's enjoying these signings, too, so it's been great. It's uh, It's really been good just being... The Hardy Boys, uh, up and running again in 2023. It's been a, been a blast.
1: Hypothetically speaking, it'd be kind of cool if maybe there was an Extreme Life of Matt Hardy live show for an hour, and then maybe the next hour was a Jeff Hardy concert. Hmm. Yeah. Think
2: about yeah. that. I, mean, I like that idea.
1: That could be kind of fun. Just something to put out there into the ether. We are live on mm-hmm. AdFreeShows.com right now. Um, Matt, Coach Rosie, he wants to know any word on you being at StarCast. Uh,
2: there's a, probably a pretty good chance I'm going to be there. I'm going to speak with Jeff, and, and I'll I'll probably I'll probably have an answer today at some point. So uh, you guys will probably hear sooner rather than later.
1: That's basically an AW FanFest at this point, StarCast. It's pretty crazy some of the names they got there. We got Aaron Sheen in here says, <laughs> hey, Matt. We got your boy, Josh Fields. We got your boy, Ken Smock.
2: Hello, Aaron. It's, Hello, Josh. Hello, Ken.
1: It is going to be a fun episode of The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy talking about Brock Lesnar. It's going to be a really unique discussion because I think a lot of people out there probably don't realize how intertwined in Brock's career you and your brother are, especially in the early beginning. So it's going to be a great conversation. If you guys have any questions in the ad free shows chat throw them up there i'm gonna get to one about brock in just a second here but let's rewind just a second here matt let's talk about the bucks match you got them coming up this was set up in a promo that we Mm -hmm. saw on socials and now we are getting this on dynamite i know that you had mentioned when we did our double or nothing 2022 watch along available in the archives extremehardy.com that you really felt that you had at least another match on the table with the Young Bucks. And now here we are in August of 2023, and we're getting that match. How did this all come about, and what are you guys looking to prove here? This will have aired uh, the match by the time this podcast drops, but I'd love to know your mentality going into it.
2: Uh, excited for it. Anytime we hook up with the Bucks, I feel like we both have really good chemistry with one another. We make uh, magic happen. We have quality matches, and I, I feel very good about tonight. Uh, excited for it. And I think I know. I said I definitely had another match with the Bucks coming up, but I think we have many, many matches with the Bucks left. And I think there's still uh, plenty of meat on the bone as far as a, a Hardy's Buck, a Hardy's Young Bucks uh, conflict going forward somewhere in the future. I, I, I feel like that'll happen again.
1: So you don't believe this will be the last time we see the Hardys versus the Young Bucks? I do not. Nope. I do not. That's what I wanted to know. So there could be some more meat on the bone as far as the Bucks of youth are concerned. Plus, it's a little different now because you guys are both babyface tag teams at this moment. So that might be something a little different. Do you weigh that when you're putting together a match?
2: Yeah. I mean, that'll obviously weigh into to what we're doing. I, I think it's not going to change like the competitiveness and the rivalry against the teams. I mean, that'll stay very intense and very heated, but I, I think it will help structure the match a little differently. And I think it'll be good. I think it'll be very enjoyable for the fans. You
1: can have a little more fun with it too. You know, I think that's, that's a big part. This isn't a heated feud that you guys have going on right now. This is just, hey, let's see two legendary tag teams go at it. And I think that's one of the beauties of AEW is that with a roster that big, you get a lot of matches like that. So, all right, let's see who's the best.
2: Yeah, we're but both both sets of brothers are kind of arrogant assholes anyway. You know, true. I'm in there and uh, I tell you know the young bucks, well, if you're going to get back in the tag team division, why don't you go ahead and dive into the deep end and take on the goats, you know, the Hardys? And they say, oh yeah, that would be an honor. We would love to wrestle the second greatest brother tag team of all time. You know, so yeah, we'll go in there and have fun, man.
1: Yeah, both of the mats in that tag team are arrogant assholes. So <laughs>
2: yeah, definitely.
1: yeah, but you don't have his mutton chops, though. I got
2: to tell well, you. I, I could. I used to back in the day. Yeah. I think he stole them from me.
1: Mm, he probably he did.
2: I in mean, the early days of V1. He stole my name from me. You know, that's why he was yeah. not.
1: They are just rip off Hardy boys anyway. So, huh. But Josh Field says both are half-ass over. So, I, I, I'd i agree with that. Both are half-ass over, yeah. Aaron Sheen wants to see a Bucks versus Hardy's ladder match in AEW in proper form. Maybe we will one day. Who's to say? Uh, but we did have SummerSlam this past week. Matt, did you have something you want to add on to that?
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say one thing. I, I, I think there is a, a point where we could get to a, a Hardy's Young Bucks ladder match. And I I would love to do that. Okay. And also I also wanted to bring up really quick. I saw the clip where the Bucks did Swerve's podcast just recently. Yes, yes. And and, and I saw Swerve putting them over saying that, you know, one of the most important things they've done were was, you know, starting AEW and they gave hundreds of guys jobs, you know, talent, production people, whatever it may be. And then I saw people on top of that saying, "Yes, the Bucks do deserve their flowers. The Bucks do deserve their flowers." And I saw Cheeseburger actually, uh, had quote, tweeted the clip of them talking uh, talking to, to Shane Strickland, and I actually retweeted it as well. So that that was nice to see. You know, I know I'm not alone in my beliefs that these guys have done great things and they do deserve the flowers. Whether you like that term- terminology or not, it's it's indifferent. They they deserve uh, they deserve the blessings and they deserve their uh, their flowers of greatness.
1: We're going to get like 50 YouTube comments about that, but it's fine. It's whatever. I don't disagree with you. You're absolutely right.
2: You know what I want you to do if you see those YouTube comments from, from from those people, the FIs? Delete! 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 delete, delete. That's
1: what I figured. Yeah. All right. That's what I figured. Uh, Code, real quick. Rosie says, Swerve has a big future. I love Air Fox with him. I'll tell you, man, I don't know how familiar you were with Swerve's work prior to AEW. I'm sure you've encountered him over the years at some point on a show every now and then. I think that dude is like one of the most underrated talents in all of wrestling. And I think Tony Khan had pretty big plans for him coming in. It took a little bit to find his position, find the right pairing for him. And I think what he's got going right now, I think he's in a really good spot to be a big time player for AEW going forward. How do you feel about that?
2: I, I like Swerve. I wasn't overly familiar with his work and just uh, how, how good he was. But now that I've gotten to know them and now that I've gotten to know him and now that I've gotten to watch a lot of his uh, his in-ring work and also just his his promo work and his character work as well and gotten to know him a little bit personally, I, I'm a fan of his.
1: Yeah, I think he's one of the more versatile performers that AEW has right. as well. Good baby face, great heel. I think he has a lot to the depth of the AEW roster. And yeah, Aaron Swerve was really good in NXT as the start of Hit Row. And unfortunately, that got cut short. So I'm glad he's getting a chance to prove what he has uh, going for him. Joe Morris says, hey, yo, Matt. Little Scott Hall there. Hey, yo, Joe. All right, let's talk SummerSlam. I know that you had some thoughts on this because you and I were talking about the tribal combat between Roman Reigns and Jey Uso that ended with Jimmy Uso returning and turning on Jay. And it's been quite a polarizing decision on the wrestling discourse front, Matt. I know you've been a big, big fan of the Bloodline storyline. I know you you hold the Usos in very, very high regard. Mm -hmm. You have been in a tag team where brothers have fought before. Was this the right time or place for something like this to happen?
2: You know, I maybe they have some ingenious plan worked out and it's going to do it's going to turn into a story that like blows us all away. but in my opinion once again this is only my shitty opinion you know people jump online with their opinions and think they are the end all be all the be all end all but i i i, I would have rather not seen jimmy turn on jay in the big scheme of things i love the fact that the usos had been such a such an important part of the story i love the fact that they had each other's back and i love that jay ended up making the decision to step away from roman and go with his brother and just for jimmy to come back i mean it's it's very wwe ish right you know i once again i don't know maybe they have something that's gonna blow us away i don't know but i i wouldn't have wanted to split up the useless because i think they're a great tag team i think they're most valuable when they're together as opposed to feuding against each other or having a big match on a big uh, PLE, premium live event. They've done a good job of branding that because people say that now. They say it actually at signings and whatnot. But I, I would have rather seen Jimmy return to it and still have Jay's back in some way. And and I, I don't I don't know where I would have taken the angle. I haven't really thought about that. I try to sit back and enjoy it, like watching just as a spectator, as a viewer of the product. But uh, I wasn't crazy about the uh, idea of Jimmy betraying Jay and, and joining by a couple of Romans.
1: I'll tell you, man, I think it really, for me, exposed and look, you know how headstrong I am about this. And there are people who insist I'm wrong. And if you feel that way, that's totally fine. I've been so headstrong that Cody should have won the championship at WrestleMania because everything that has happened since with the bloodline, the title has taken a back seat to. The title has not been the focus. Jey Uso wanting to beat Roman was about wanting to beat Roman. And become the tribal chief it was not about wanting to become the wwe universal champion and i think that for that reason the motivations here with this jimmy turn feel very unearned and unwarranted how had it been about jimmy being like actually i want to be the tribal chief and he doesn't help roman but he also screws jay well then maybe there's a little more of Moving pieces to bite your teeth into, as far as I'm concerned. Now, that's me shooting from the hip and quote unquote fantasy booking. I'm not a huge fan of fantasy booking, but I just am a big fan. And we're going to talk about this with Brock here and Cody in a second. Actions have to be earned, a character has to develop with reason. And for me, this came across in the moment, and maybe they'll prove us wrong, as you just said, in the coming weeks. But in the moment, it came across as Doing something unpredictable for the sake of doing something unpredictable.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I and I, I I I totally get your point about seeing Cody winning the title there, and about how the the meat of the story that they were going to be doing going forward wasn't about the title. So if Roman had the title uh, or not, he was still the tribal chief, and that was kind of like the, the 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 main nucleus of the story that we were using going forward. Um, so yeah, I I would have been great with Cody winning there. Um, I think they've done a good job in this thing he's done recently with Brock. It seems like it's been working for him, and again, Cody's still getting great reactions, and and is working his way back up. You know, so you know, I, I don't know if this is the reaction they thought they were going to get. Whenever they didn't put the title on him, they were going to do this, you know, this this tangent program with Brock, and then maybe he goes back to Roman, does the deal. But but I think Cody still has to be the one to beat Roman when it's all said and done, to to tie up that story the correct way, and to and to really put Cody where he could be elevated to in the highest capacity.
1: Cody is in such a unique spot right now, Matt, where I think, and this is crazy that I'm even saying this, but I think he's almost immune to booking right now. I think regardless of what you do with him, he's just connecting with audiences so authentically and in Mm -hmm. a very real tangible way that I think he's like untouchable. It reminds me so much of John Cena.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, there's some some guys that get to that point where they're, you know, they're bullet they're bulletproof, they're they're Teflon, you know, and like that was that terminology we used on Jeff and I many many times, especially in our most over babyface days in 2000 2001, because they knew they could beat us and nobody gave a shit. They would still pop just as loud for us. They would still be going nuts the next week we came out, you know. So it's. uh it's a blessing and a curse to be approved for Teflon. And that's great that Cody's in that area. That's like best case scenario for anyone looking to have a prolonged wrestling career.
1: And Aaron wants to know your thoughts on Brock's sort of breaking character and shaking Cody's hand, which was a real holy shit moment. So for those who may not have seen it, they had their third match here in a program where Brock broke Cody's arm and took him out for a period of time. And it was a vicious feud. They have a really good match, in my opinion. And then at the end, Brock shakes Cody's hand, raises it, endorses him, gives him a hug, and gets out of Dodge. Triple H said afterwards, as to Cody, that that was unplanned, and they were not expecting that. What does that say about Brock, Matt Hardy? Because we can use that as a pivot point into our Matt fact in this episode.
2: Yeah, I uh, I, I, I dig that. I dig that Brock is, Brock is such a beast. I've said this many times. He's legitimately the most uh badass athlete I've ever been in the ring with so he is the real deal through and through and through if you get in there and you touch him uh and you've had any sort of athleticism you've dealt with athleticism you know how real and how genuine and how unbelievably explosive he is so the the fact that he is cool with coming in and being a badass and like murdering people and doing whatever and beating up people and breaking their arms but then at the very end of the program put over this guy and then go take some time off and like endorse him. I think it speaks volumes about him realizing where he's at. And also just being, being there for the greater good in the big scheme of things, you know, not, not being selfish. And it's one of those things too, where it makes me think, I I wonder if that was legitimately done just in the heat of the moment, or if that was just something they, we're talking about doing, and they said we'll just act like it wasn't, you know, wasn't going to happen before or ahead of time. I could see, I could see that happening either way. I'm yeah. not slow on either, actually.
1: I'll tell you, watching it, Cody's reaction—he seemed genuinely taken back by it. But maybe he's just a really good actor, who's to say? Uh, but either way, Cody's now been endorsed by John Cena, and he's been endorsed by Brock Lesnar. So I think that's pretty significant as he tries to climb the ladder here and become the wwe universal champion all right matt let's get to it i want to hear your matt fact please get us with it
2: mad fact matt is currently rebranding himself
1: the matt hardy brand is rebranding
2: a little bit i've just changed the way the last two or three weeks and it seems to be to be working i i didn't make a big deal out of it whatever but like in the past i would do like you know you know, the net says, you know, 18 years ago, you know, 18 years ago today, the net says what, and I would always like reference my past or Hardy's past and what we've done and just kind of remind people like how long we've been around some of our great accomplishments accomplishments or whatever. But I feel like in some ways that was taking away uh, from some of what we are currently attempting to do and still who we currently are, you know? So I've cut out all the past stuff and everything I post going forward and promote has just been present and future stuff. So that, that is something um, I, I've been doing. and I've been very cognizant about it, you know, because we aren't here to be a nostalgia act right now. And, and, uh, I, I even think it speaks volumes that, you know, we're still on TV. We just went. And I mean, we outsold, you know, Bret Hart, Sting, Kevin Nash, that's, that's a big deal because those guys are like big stars that, you know, worked on top their whole, their whole career, you know, for many, many years. So just trying to be very present in the moment and everything that I'm promoting is stuff about the real Matt Hardy in this day and age. The real Matt Hardy that is wrestling with AEW, you know, whatever story we're do, doing here currently, uh, the real Matt Hardy uh, at home, the husband or the real Matt Hardy, the father with his kids. I mean, everything I post now is like present stuff and I'm staying away from nostalgic stuff.
1: So you might even say you're living for the moment.
2: I am uh, living for the moment, living for the future.
1: Love to hear it. So the only place people can get their nostalgia with the Hardy Boys is the extreme life of Matt Hardy. So I think let's let's keep it exclusive here. I like it. it Endorse the brand. Make it a premium must-see attraction. You know I'm all about that. Rosie says, are you going to leave Double J alone now? But you're living in the moment.
2: Uh well, I don't know. It depends on if Double J is gonna leave us alone. You know, he's he's the one that kind of started this whole thing. So I know, I know, I know you're cool with Double J. You're a fan of this podcast, coach. Oh, yeah. Um, but I but I gotta tell you, if he if he keeps coming, if he keeps coming and uh and knocking on the Hardy Boys door, the Hardy Boys will answer.
1: Can't let things get out of bounds here, buddy. We gotta keep everything in the lane and we gotta make sure that You and Double J are cool and cool moving forward. All right, let's talk Brock Lesnar, who, as Rosie also appropriately brings up, when Brock takes his time off, he gets to go home to Sable. What a life. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so and that's an amazing life because you would never know that he'd be here today based on where he came from. He was born in Webster, South Dakota, and he grows up on his parents' dairy farm. He joins the National Guard at 17, and he actually has colorblindness, so he is assigned to a very specific job, and he's discharged after failing a computer typing test. So things are a little uh, rough for him growing up, but he is born and built country strong. How much of that country upbringing, in your opinion, from what you know about Brock and your interaction with him, helped shape who he is today?
2: Uh, I, I think there's a lot of similarities uh, with the upbringing of myself and my brother and Brock. I think they were very similar. I mean, we've talked about that. I think growing up and being a, a farmer, doing manual labor, working on the land, working with the land, I, I think it's a, a simple life, but it also teaches you kind of the, the rewards of hard work and, and, and what hard work is, and also to be grateful. You know, for for the things that you do and the things that you have, and I think he had a lot of that because we could see those similarities, and we had those conversations sometimes where we talked about that, just our very humble upbringings in very rural areas where we're in the country. You know, he did step up in. South Dakota, and then uh, you know myself and Jeff, we were obviously priming tobacco and we were working in the tobacco fields and doing every job there was to do in North Carolina. And on top of that, we had gardens and we were out there farming and digging and picking vegetables and growing vegetables and we would cook our own food. So yeah, we both came from very humble beginnings and I, and I think they, they made us extremely grateful for, for the things that we had.
1: Brock wasn't even in the gym growing up. He was just on the farm. And that's how he built his muscle mass. And that's how he became a premium athlete. And he eventually does two years at Bismarck State College before transferring to the University of Minnesota on a wrestling scholarship. And he's roommates with future WWE superstar Sheldon Benjamin. And the two of them go on to have a ton of success at the University of Minnesota. Brock wins the 2000 NCAA Division I Heavyweight Wrestling Championship his senior year. And he is eventually discovered by none other than Jim Ross, who was, of course, in talent relations at the time. And when Jim discovered him, he knew that he had a gem. When did Brock first come on your radar? Did you ever hear any chatter about when he was signed and maybe his legitimacy that he was going to bring to the company?
2: He first came on my radar when I heard about this behemoth, you know, in OVW that was doing a, a shooting star press. You know, a guy that was a a monster, a monster, you know, a crazy physical specimen doing the shooting star press. That's when I first became aware of Brock. And I remember seeing clips of it I was like, holy shit, this is incredible that this guy's doing this.
1: I look at Brock Lesnar and knowing Jim Ross's taste, I don't think you could design a more fit athlete and potential recruit for a guy like Jim Ross than Brock Lesnar. Did you ever get a taste for the type of talent that Jr. had his finger on the pulse of at the time?
2: I mean, Jr. loved guys that were like legitimate athletes that had proved themselves in legitimate athletic competitions, whether it was wrestling or football or whatever else it was, you know, especially when they just, you know, they screamed athlete through and through and through because he's such a, a big fan of football for one and collegiate wrestling as well. And then I I think there were also times where JR would see guys, you know, which would, this statement would include myself and my brother, probably Edge and Christian, guys who were just very passionate about what they did and guys who had great attitudes, and guys who had been busting their ass driving up and down the road for, you know, next to nothing money wise, who just really wanted to earn a shot in WWE. So I I think Jim was a very fair and, and and a very good talent relations head afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think paula while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year it is far less likely than it is on thirty thousand dollars a year right i would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight it was a hundred percent you need to make more money make smarter choices and build a better life afford anything wherever you listen
1: we know he's a world renowned announcer maybe considered to be the greatest announcer of all time in wrestling but do you feel he ever gets his flowers for his contributions on the talent development and relations side? Because that just had to have been such an unenviable job during the period of time I mean, that
2: you had it, it. It's 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 the it's the worst job because it's like uh you're you're gonna be unliked by most people because you're the guy that has to, you know, call and let people go and fire them and unemploy them from their jobs. So it really is there, there's uh it's it's a tough, it's a tough gig, you know, it is. You do a lot of good because you hire people, you give people opportunities, like you make their dreams come true, but you're also in their dreams as well. You know, so it it is really a thankless job in many, many ways. And it's a tough job, but I think JR did a really, really good job. He was really, really fair. He's really, really honest. And uh, I, I'm glad JR was the guy that hired us and, and we got to come up our first few years underneath JR. I think that helped us out greatly.
1: And you think about the level of talent that he brought in let's talk about it so Brock comes in in 2000 on a developmental deal with OVW Ohio Valley wrestling that's where he meets Paul Heyman Mm -hmm. and Jim Cornette actually who's the booker at the time is the one that pairs Brock with Shelton Benjamin in OVW and they're known as the Minnesota stretching crew which I love I think that's such a great tag team name Shelton Benjamin Brock Lesnar John Cena Randy Orton Batista this has got to be the most stacked developmental crew ever in wrestling history. Did the main roster have any concept at the time? How much talent was truly in the waiting there?
2: I I think they had some guys they thought were going to be players. But I think the guy who got the most buzz out of all those guys, initially at least, which I kept hearing about was, was Randy. Because Randy Orton, they said this kid, you know, he's thirty generation. He's just so gifted. He gets it so naturally and he's going to be so, so good after he gets, you know, some experience under his belt. So I think they knew they had some guys that were going to be players, but uh, I I know Randy was kind of like the one who had the most hype behind him.
1: I know uh, Rico Constantino was a big player there at the time too. There were a lot of people who thought that Rico would really develop into someone, uh, some even more so than John Cena. And yet, unfortunately, Rico was kind of the odd man out of that group any memories of Rico coming up at that point as a performer as a wrestler rather than the manager we got to know him as
2: not really I I didn't see a lot of him as as a performer like you know with OVW obviously I was was obviously on the road and we were working a pretty aggressive schedule at that time so like you know I the the wrestling I saw was at live events more than anything else so no I I wasn't familiar with, with Rico's stuff until he got to the main roster and he was primarily a manager which I enjoyed working with him then a real sweetheart of a human being Shelton and Brock
1: never run together on the main roster, but they're here in OVW. They have a real life history. It's surprising that wasn't leaned into more. Shelton, just one of those guys who, for me, Matt, is always gonna be a what if. He he had a lot of success in WWE, but I really feel like he'd come along 10 years later. We're talking about an all time great here. What's your assessment on Shelton Benjamin's career and the run that he had?
2: I mean, yeah, it it was, he had a good run, but if he would have came later, if he would have came now you know where you weren't necessarily like pegged into being a guy that like might not be the best promo or you might have the best character or the best persona or the best personality uh just nowadays people can be just based on their pure athletic skill and what they can do in the ring and I think Shelton he would be uh he'd be a huge star right now especially if he was just starting now and his nascence was beginning to come you know climbing the ranks of pro wrestling
1: I agree with that 100 percent. so Brock is the standout here in OVW and he debuts on WWF television. The day after WrestleMania, March 18, 2002 on raw, there's a hardcore championship match going on and he destroys Al snow. He destroys Maven. He destroys Spike Dudley. This is brutal. It is vicious and who's there at his side, but someone we haven't seen since the Alliance get got split up. It is Paul Heyman and he's seen shouting instructions to Brock miss all of the carnage. Brock's debut, Matt, truly shocking and out of nowhere. Fans, they didn't have the aid of NXT to introduce them to up-and-comers. So his reaction to watching, it's not huge, but as I see it, pairing Paul Heyman with him right out of the gate tells people he's worth paying attention to. So how important, if at all in your opinion, was it for Paul to be part of his package? And what did you think of his shocking debut?
2: I, I thought it was done well. It was done different. It, it felt different from a lot of the debuts you saw at that time. Um, wasn't all these big vignettes about this guy's arriving. You know, it, it, he, you, did, you had no idea what you were going to be seeing from this guy. You just see this monster, this guy who is jacked as much as you can possibly be jacked, this incredible athlete who's coming out and destroying people. And they knew right from the jump that this guy was going to be a big deal. I mean, that you know, the next big thing was more than a catchphrase. People really believed that he was going to be the next big thing. So I, I, I didn't mind this. I I, I like this introduction just because it was so different.
1: What did Paul add to his legitimacy upon coming in? Uh,
2: Once again, you have Paul Heyman, a guy who, uh, whether you love him or hate him, uh, he's, there's going to be a lot of notoriety attached to Paul Heyman's name when it comes to, to pro wrestling and, and to people that he may be managing. And, uh, The very infamous Paul Heyman was going to do nothing but give him the best rub. And, you know, if you put Paul Heyman with someone, he is going to do his all to make sure it is a success. And he's just such a great talker. He's such a great personality. Whenever it comes to doing mic work and it comes to expressing a story in a very interesting, interesting and engaging way, nobody's better than Paul Heyman. So Paul Heyman was the perfect person to put with Brock, I thought, right from the jump.
1: So Brock comes in and he's portrayed differently than pretty much anyone to that time. What was the perception of Brock from the locker room upon him actually arriving full-time on the main roster?
2: I, I think everyone was cool with Brock. I mean, Brock was ve- once again, very humble and and very appreciative of everything that people were doing from him. I mean, he had, didn't have an ego. He was uh, grateful to be getting that opportunity. He was grateful. The guys were selling their asses off for him. And yeah, Brock was, Brock was a pleasure to work with. Everybody liked him. So is he more – give
1: me some percep- perspective here because Brock is kind of a mysterious figure for a lot of people. Is he really soft-spoken at the time? What, what's his general cadence in nature like as he's coming up here super young, I think 25 years
2: old at the time? I mean, especially at, at this time, and I'll also say too, uh, Je- Brock reminds me of my brother in many ways. He's a very private person hates social media, hates being in the public eye. Not about that. Just wants to do whatever his craft is, whatever he wants to do to enjoy you know, his art. I I think he would show up. He would be very kind. He'd be very grateful. He was appreciative that he was getting this opportunity. He was very appreciative of the guys that would work with him, guys that would sell for him, guys that would work hard to put him over and make him look like this legit monster. And he was just, just very low key, man. He was just like, Cool. Well, happy to be here. Yeah, we'll do this. You know, we'll do that. It'll be great. Wasn't demanding, wasn't, you know, one of those guys who's like, no, it has to be this way or it's going to be that. Wasn't like on the edge of the seat, just very laid back, very chill, very easy going.
1: I feel like when you see a guy like Brock looking like how he does, carrying the presence he does, even at that time, it's got to be like a locker room sellout at the monitor. Just seeing this guy, what he brings to the table, were people backstage captivated by – his general
2: likeness in any way? Uh, I, I think people were probably interested to see where this guy was going to end up landing in the big hierarchy of things. Um, but as far as like being captivated by him right from the beginning, I don't know if that's the thing. I mean, there's, once again, it was another debut on the roster and mm-hmm. they they knew they had big plans for him. You know, they hoped to have big plans for him if everything panned out and uh, and ultimately it did. And he was, You could tell when you worked with him that he was a very, very special athlete. He was a very, very special item when it comes to pro wrestling. Imagine just
1: being in that arena, too, as a fan, just seeing an episode of Raw. And you see this debut of this guy who you're not super familiar with and knowing what he has become today. Wouldn't you want to be able to be the type of fan that says, I was there? Like, I got to see Brock Lesnar's debut.
2: Yeah, that's, a, a, I think, a, a cool... Uh, Notching in your belt to be able to say you were there for his debut yeah
1: well the good news is you very well may be at the debut for the next big thing when you use game time matt hardy because game time makes sure that you're not missing out on any of the biggest events in your area by giving you the best deals on last minute tickets just download the game time app today create an account and use code hardy for twenty dollars off your first purchase is there anyone you wish you were in attendance for to see their debut in hindsight, Matt? Oh, my gosh, yes.
2: In a perfect world, I would have game time. give me tickets to uh, Randy Savage, the Macho Man's debut in pro wrestling.
1: I like to hear that. I like to hear it. How cool would it have been if you were at Goldberg's debut, having no idea that this enhancement talent was about to become one of the biggest things in the history of the industry as he defeats Hugh Morris? I think that would have been crazy. And if you had game time, you could have been there. Because That's game a good call. Game Time has flash deals and last-minute tickets. It's easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of a your area, whether it's wrestling, whether it's music, whether it is Disney on ice, or anything in between, music, comedy, theater. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Matt Hardy, I know you're a big fan of transparency. Big-time fan. Game Time has got to be the most transparent ticket app out there. And why is that?
2: Uh, Because there are no hidden fees. There are no extra bonuses you have to pay. You're one and done. And that's what makes game time so great.
1: All you got to do is toggle on that all-in pricing, maybe even ahead of all-in over in Wembley Stadium, and you will see every single cent that you'll be paying for a ticket. So there's no hidden fees. Everything is up front there for you. And the game time guarantee means you're always going to get the best price available. If you find tickets in the same section row for less game time, it's going to credit you 110% of the difference. So download the game time app, create an account and use code hardy for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again, create an account redeem code hardy for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. Guaranteed.
2: Hey guys, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Need to call a timeout real quick here. I wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my world listeners for a while now. It's about all the incredible things happening over on freeshows.com. On the debut episode of Making the Town, Blue Meanie takes us through the memorable matches and moments of the famed ECW arena, including one that was never seen.
1: Something very special happened after the power went off. Uh, Paul Heyman went out into the ring and spoke to the crowd without a microphone. And the crowd just stayed quiet and listened. And he gave the most heartfelt thank you to that crowd that night. And uh, the biggest shame of it is there's no footage of it because the power went out.
2: On an all new Tuesday with the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan talks about what some of the greatest factions of all time have in common. Four horsemen, four guys, Mm. when they're in the strongest. NWO, four guys when they're the strongest. And then Bloodline, four guys. But they also had a manager, each one of them JJ, Eric,
0: and Paul E.
2: Hey, that's just a small taste of what Ad Free Shows has waiting for you, including a brand new perk getting to join in on the live recordings of the shows with four levels to choose from. See for yourself why Ad Free Shows is the Best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at atfreeshows.com. That's right. Sign up today at AdFreeShows.com.
1: So, a couple weeks later, Brock turns his attention to the Hardy Boys. The two of you defeat Mr. Perfect and Big Boss Man in a tag match, and then Brock mutilates you both. Before I ask about Brock, working with Mr. Perfect I know you're probably a big boss man fan as well but in particular growing up a wrestling fan of the late 80s early 90s I have to imagine working with Mr. Perfect in his short run back in WWE must have been a career highlight for you.
2: Uh, Absolutely I mean that was a huge honor we were Curry Henning was one of my guys when he first came in and was doing the Mr. Perfect gig like we loved the vignettes we loved the character I was here for it and then the matches he had were so great like his classic with Bret Hart was so good, and we—he was one of those guys. We were very upset that he never got a, a proper WWE World Heavyweight Title run because we thought he was certainly deserving of one. Yeah, it was a—it was a great honor to work with Mister Perfect, and and I enjoyed being around him too. He was a very fun guy to be around.
1: That's awesome. Too too bad that his return wasn't as long lived as many of us were hoping that it was going to be. But Brock does destroy you guys here. How would you find out that you'd be working with Brock, and what was the idea behind pairing you guys with him?
2: We knew we were going to be, you know, that Brock had attacked some people. We knew we were going to be in there and and suffer Brock's attack in the ring, his random attack, so to say. But we were going to follow up with it, and we are going to actually do a bit of a program with him. And I, I think they felt like Jeff and I were guys who would bust our ass for Brock to make him look good uh and we could take whatever kind of bump which was going to make him like a very dominant special athlete but they also trusted us and they knew that we wouldn't take liberties with them and we would like be very fair to him and we would both work for their greater good in the building of Brock Lesnar who's they they is just Vince they is uh the people that are the booking team at that time who are putting together the show and architecting it that they were they they knew that we would we would work our hardest to to do what they wanted with Brock.
1: I guess what I want to know is who is telling you that? Who is the person saying, "Hey, we think you guys are two people who can really enhance this guy and work with him"? Who's delivering that message to you?
2: Uh, whoever our producer was, it could have been Michael Hayes coming down. Oh well, Vince thinks Vince is going to put him with you guys. He trusts you guys. You know, he knows you guys are going to work hard. You won't take uh, advantage of this guy being a new young guy. You'll go out and you'll bust brush your ass and you'll do all you can to make this guy look like a million bucks because Vince really does see this guy as the next big thing. And I remember coming back even from the first beat down or then when we did the deal where he attacked us again and we ended up coming with the chairs. I remember coming back to him and Vince said, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was great. And he was super happy with it. you know. Okay.
1: So Vince never directly told you, hey, like you guys are going to be the ones who – are trusted with this, but that was a message that was passed down to you guys.
2: Yes. Okay.
1: And you, from what you just said, made it pretty clear that it was well known that Vince thought that Brock Lesnar was going to be face of the company material. Yes. Okay. Yes. From the very early goings.
2: From from day one. Okay. I mean, you, you, you look at Brock, that is Vince's, that's Vince's wet dream. You know, that is, that is, that is what Vince wants. A big ass guy who's just as tough as hell, uh, just, athletic, no, yeah, and someone who isn't complicated, someone who's very easy going to work with, especially at that stage of his career, right? When he was starting, right? You know, he, he was just he, he was precisely what Vince wanted in a pro wrestler. I've always said out at airports, you know, you when yeah. he walks through the crowd, Brock Lesnar looks like something fucking special, you know, he, he really does, he stands out as a very special human being and uh on top of that he was a special athlete so he he was vince's wet dream no doubt
1: i've always felt like vince and brock have had a contentious father-son style relationship over the years and we'll we'll get into some of the more semantics of it later but did you pick up on anything like that
2: uh i mean at at that time they didn't but later on down the road yes of course i mean like you know pro wrestling is not an easy is not an easy business it's very tough between the abuse your body goes through and between all the wear and tear and, you know, the traveling and just the hours. And, you know, it's just, there's no set schedule and just having to deal with fans and being a public figure. And that was something that really, you know, wore on Brock as time went on. And then like, he just changed, you know, he changed his mentality, his things on he said, okay, well, if I'm here to do this business and they wanna do business, we'll do business. Especially once he elevated his value outside of WB and once again I, him and my brother are very similar in the in their mindset and the way they think about things like that
1: a-, a question that everyone's been asking me as we've been talking about this you guys take this vicious beat down this is a very early Brock Lesnar here how was it taking that beating from him was he a little stiff was he a little aggressive or was he deceptive
2: uh he he was very aggressive I mean he laid stuff in but he was also very very safe too that's okay. one thing I can always say about Brock is, I mean, there's guys who can lay stuff in and it's there. Pro wrestling isn't ballet. You're going to get hit. You know, like people who think you don't get hit, you are going to get hit and you have to be tough and you have to suck it up and just deal with this. That's part of the whole deal with pro wrestling. You know, but Brock was also very safe in the stuff he did.
1: The next week, Heyman is with Brock in the ring, cutting a promo. It's the first of many, many promos between the two for years to come. Heyman calls himself Brock's agent. And for the first time, Matt, we hear the nickname the next big thing. And that's when you guys jump Brock and proceed to lay in two of the most vicious chair shots to the head in wrestling history. People still talk about this to this day. Wow, and even as he, and even as even as he bails out, he still manages to stay on his feet. In hindsight, Matt, when you watch it, it doesn't age all that well, but it sure is memorable. Who came up with the idea for this? Were you given any instructions on the chair shots in particular? And what was the reaction to it?
2: I mean, it's, it's it was the trend at the time. So I love watching that footage back. You know, it is, it is what it is. You know, what happened today? No. But looking at it back then, it was a hell of a spot. Like, it was very choreographed. And a lot of this did come directly from Vince. And one of the things we were saying, like, you guys come in. We want to show this guy's a beast. This guy's a monster. He said, you know, you guys you know known with these chair shots in and it knocks him out of the ring but he doesn't go off his feet and that, that was Vince's whole vision right at the very end of it to like really paint Brock as like this monster this monster pro wrestler in WWE so I'll, I'll never forget too whoever the producer was and I'm not 100 percent certain of who it was a very fun story that day a very funny story is we're in there and we do one of the spots how we're doing we're fighting against Brock and then we have a pretty good idea of how we do this thing and we get to the chair shots, right? And we've got this all set and it's all good. And I remember Brock comes back up and he says, well, you know, the producer says like, when you hit me with that chair, like really, you know, really lay it in because it's important that I look strong, like he can't look weak or whatever. And I said, Oh, I will, man. I mean, I don't know if you've watched, but like, go back and watch Royal Rumble 2000, where we like murdered one another, the Hardys and the Dudleys with these chair shots and, you know, the, the Royal Rumble 2000 tables match. I mean, we we swing these chairs hard. Like, we suck it up and go. We're men about it when it comes to that. And then a little bit later, he came out to Jeff and he said, Hey, they once again, they just reiterated, you guys really got to lay those chairs in. You really got to lay those chairs in. Just like, Yes, we're going to lay them in. Don't worry. We're going to lay them in. I promise. Uh, so, Brock was getting a lot of pressure put on him to make sure that, you know, it looked like he could, you know, absorb this monstrous beating, like almost look inhuman to a degree. And we go out there and we lay those those chair shots in. I remember Jeff was the first one to do a chair shot, and his was so damn loud. I was like, holy shit, that's like the loudest chair shot I've ever heard in real time. And I was like, how am I going to top that? (laughs) And I just remember swinging for the vents, and mine laid in pretty good too. Brock bounced out of the ring, he hit. We came through and got in the back, and they were like checking on Brock. Like, oh my God, those were devastating chair shots. Are you okay? He said, Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. Everything's cool. I'm cool. And then I remember we came back, and then Brock like pulled me and Jeff to the side. I said, How was it, guys? Everything good, right? So it was almost like he didn't have a full recollection of how those chair shots were. So yeah, that was a that that was a, a wild story and uh, quite a, quite a memorable moment in our career. Man,
1: so he was more or less, if if he's pulling you aside afterwards, he gets knocked loopy in some capacity here Yes, and yet if you watch it back he doesn't lose his composure at all, he's in complete control the entire time, he shrugs it off, he lets out a primal roar, you would never know that he got knocked loopy from it, that almost just seems like this guy has so much instinct for that business, especially at that time, that speaks to how well rounded
2: he was I mean, it speaks volumes about, especially pro wrestlers, guys who are used to absorbing all this pain, how how much you can put your body through and still function seemingly normal. Yeah. It's, it's scary in some ways.
1: I mean, in hindsight, we know, dumb idea, not something that should have been done. But at the time, you're right. It, this was all over TV. And listen, you can't say it doesn't get a huge reaction. The reaction from the crowd, especially when Jeff's hits, it's they're gasping. They can't believe how loud. Did you feel the adrenaline just pumping through you when you're laying that in?
2: Oh, yeah. No, it it was a very adrenaline-filled segment. I remember going out, and also it was the first time that anybody really got anything in on this guy, on this indestructible monster. So, yeah, it it was a hot segment.
1: And, like, too, there's kind of a bit of pressure on your behalf, because if you screw up Vince's prized possession here, you hurt Brock, you break his nose with the chair, you give him a severe concussion, whatever it may be. Well, talk about heat on Matt Hardy all of a sudden here. Did you feel that pressure going out there?
2: Uh, I mean, a little bit. And <laughs> there was a point where <laughs> it was almost frustrating that, like, they're saying, okay, guys got to lay this chair shots in because we can't make him look weak. So it's like, okay, so you want us to, like, kill this guy, but then, like, we hurt the guy, <laughs> you know? So it's like walking a very fine line. Yeah. You know, But it, it, it was. It was i don't know still at that time too um he was real easy to work with and real easy to deal with so it you didn't feel the pressure like the pressure was not coming from him you know we knew what they wanted us to do we feel like we could provide vince's vision as he saw it so it was it was an enjoyable segment and there was some pressure but not not terrible
1: aaron says brock is a great seller i'll tell you i think brock lesnar is one of the most underrated sellers in wrestling history i really do i think especially when he's into something, Matt, and he really cares about a match. He gives okay. his opponents so much in his selling, and I think that is oh, yeah. one of the secret sauces of Brock Lesnar when all is
2: said and done. Um, when, 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 when Brock turns the selling on, he's one of the best in the world, and and he is so good and so believable and so unique in the way he sells, especially for a guy of his size, he is uh, he is one of the best in the world.
1: So you versus Brock is made official for backlash. And the next week, Heyman is seen backstage creeping on Lita in the locker room, which sign of the times, I guess. And you guys that same episode, you guys lose to Booker Team Goldust because, well, it's tag team wrestling in WWE. You are Teflon, as you say, and it doesn't really matter who wins and loses in the tag division. And after the match, Brock lays you out with an F five on the ramp. How'd that one feel, pal?
2: um that that was tough uh it, it was he did it as safe as he could I landed as safe as I could but it was it was hard I mean you were you know that was still great you really landing on so it was it was tough
1: is the f5 one of the more difficult finishers to take because as a bystander it almost seems like you can't really control your landing all that
2: much uh a lot of it depends on how the guy how they got the you you know when when it, depending on how you get thrown I mean if you're thrown off where your body is level then you have a pretty good opportunity to control yourself as you go downward but if you're like thrown and your feet are way higher than your head or your head is way higher than your feet then it's a little tricky trying to land flat
1: so jeff runs to make the save with a steel chair lesnar retreats but you have been taken out and jeff is announced as the replacement for you going into the pay-per-view uh, interesting bit of booking there. Was there an idea behind it being Jeff first rather than you?
2: I I think so. I I, I would guess, this would be my guess, is that they thought Jeff would take the crazier bumps from Robbie, I I right, right from the jump. So I, I think that's why that happened like that. And they felt like it gave Jeff more motivation that he'd taken out his brother in some you know, very heinous way by doing that F5 on the stage.
1: Also, I'm sure Jeff probably takes it as a badge of honor with the selling. You, you've always talked about how much he loves selling and how he feels like that's the biggest part of his game. So he gets to go out there and just bump like crazy for mm-hmm. Brock. Yeah, uh, I, I'd have to imagine the stunt man probably put a little stock in that. So we fast forward to Backlash. It's Lesnar's pay-per-view debut. He's one of the biggest heels of the night at this. It, it's working. Pairing him with you guys is working. And needless to say, Brock dominates the match. Jeff gets a few minutes of offense. He even hits a swanton, but Lesnar picks up the victory in six minutes and not by pinfall. Instead, he's absolutely pulverizing Jeff. He lays him out. That's with, savage, right? Yeah, he, he lays him out with the power bombs, and then Teddy Long, holla holla, ends up stopping the match via TKO. Interesting way of portraying Brock here. What did you make of that?
2: Uh, I, I think that was they had an idea about like doing a deal where Brock was like, a you know, an ultimate killing machine. He just decimated his opponent so bad that they just had to stop the match. I think that was an idea they wanted to try and do and run with for a little bit at that time.
1: What's worse, taking the F5 or taking those three back to back power bombs that he was doing where he would do those I'd power really bombs that? F5, wouldn't release I'd them.
2: rather take the F5 all day long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Why is that?
2: I don't know. Just those, those power bombs back to back. The guy has to hold you and you don't necessarily get to hit as flat as you want to. And just it's like impact, back to back, impact, back to back, impact. So I would rather do that F5. I'd rather be a one and done.
1: I wasn't surprised when they took that out of Brock's arsenal. And it was just the F5 because it seemed pretty brutal on people's bodies. So the next night you face Brock. And it's the same story. Power bombs, TKO did you feel like he was really coming into his own here as a performer coming through this feud with you? Because you guys are shining him up real nice. That's exactly the end goal here.
2: You, you could feel that the crowd, uh, we starting to look at him as legitimate. I mean, the, the crowd reactions changed over the course of these weeks. So he was becoming like a legitimate superstar on the WWE roster.
1: Aaron wants to know what's Matt's thoughts on ref stoppages in pro wrestling. Is it leaning too much into real combat sports?
2: I don't think so. I mean, that, that's one of the beautiful things about pro wrestling is we kind of determine the parameters that we work within. So I, I, I don't think it leans too much into to real sports anyway. I mean, I, I think wrestling, I say this all the time, I think wrestling is at its best when it's a variety show in many ways, and it has a lot of different things on the show. So I'm, I'm A-OK with ref stoppages, especially when they're done in a really good way that's very believable.
1: Well, and on top of that, too, you throw into the equation that, it is enhancing Brock back-to-back nights to see him beat you in this manner. That's not something that was happening on WWE TV frequently. And you're saving it for a big moment. Do you think that added any extra equity to him?
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, it was it, it, it made him stand out from everyone else. He was doing something different they weren't doing. And, I mean, looking back in hindsight, I mean, it seems practically perfect for a guy like Brock to have a ref stoppage in the match.
1: You're off TV for a week, but return afterwards to challenge Brock to a handicap match. And in the closing minutes of the match, Jeff almost gets the pinfall victory, but Paul Heyman pulls the referee out for the DQ. He then gets on the mic and he challenges you guys to a tag team match at judgment day. He announced that he himself will be Brock Lesnar's tag team partner. And that's all because he was rejected by Lita and he's taking this very personally. So, so, Paul Heyman, the Paulus, is stepping in the ring with you guys. That's gotta feel like a little bit of a badge of honor on your guy's behalf that a legend like Paul wants to get in there and mix it up with you guys.
2: Yeah, I mean it was uh it, it was it was it was a pretty fun angle overall. I enjoyed doing stuff with Paul Heyman at that time. Um, and I, I remember they were talking about the initial finish was that Paul was gonna beat Jeff. And I remember Jeff thought it was great. Jeff was Jeff was all about it. He gets the whole entertainment aspect of pro wrestling. For sure. He always has.
1: Well, so in the match, you guys eventually cut off Brock after he dominates most of it while Paul refuses to tag in. But you actually lay some punches is on punches in on Paul. And you hit poetry in motion. The crowd's enjoying it. They like seeing Paul Heyman get beat up. And Brock's able to make the save. He turns the tide. He tags in Heyman, who falls through the ropes upon coming in, and he scrambles over to pin Jeff. Now I do have a few gripes with the layout of this especially with you guys getting your hands on paul in the way in which you did but what did you think of the match it's got to be one of the more unique matches of your career
2: um I, I don't have a great recollection of it i haven't watched it back in a long long time but i, I remember thinking at the time I, I felt i felt it was i felt it was good i thought it was okay i felt we accomplished our goal
1: So here's my gripe, and this is me speaking from a manager perspective, someone who's been involved in angles on the indies with managing and stuff. I feel like when a manager gets their comeuppance, right, when a manager gets hit in the face for the first time or gets laid out with poetry in motion, that should be a really big deal. That should be a very much earned action. And instead, it comes in a match that's put together a week beforehand. It didn't feel super personal between Paul and you guys. It was more him and Lita. And it happens in a way where the crowd, they react, but it's not this. Oh, my God, we couldn't wait to see Paul Heyman get his ass beat with a guy like Paul. It should be a long time before we finally see him get his comeuppance because there's your payoff. And now this guy who's not a wrestler is getting the absolute shit beat out of him. Is that fair for me to think that way, or am I overthinking this?
2: Mm, I would almost say you're overthinking it, considering what the WWE was trying to do with that time. I mean, the the whole uh, you know the whole concept behind our program together was ultimately for Brock. You know, this thing with Paul Heyman was just supposed to be just something that was thrown in just to you know help Paul Heyman get heat to go along with Brock moving forward, you know? So it's, it's one of those things. I felt like if it'd been a main angle, I feel like you're what the points you brought up, if it's like a main, main angle. And the whole point is like, these guys are having like a competitive rivalry with these other guys. Eventually when they get their hands on the manager, it's a big deal. And then they get their comeuppance or whatever. But I feel like, you know, the whole point of what we were really doing was once again, to keep moving Brock up the roster. So at the, at the end of the day, that like wasn't as, as big of a deal or thought about in that, you know, was thought about in that capacity as far as like. Well, that's my
1: point, though. But that's my point. My point is that if this was just for the sake of enhancing Brock, why are we even wasting time getting Paul involved with this? Let's save that for a much bigger feud with Brock where Paul Heyman is costing the babyface in a main event match, and that's when we see Paul get his comeuppance. Why are we wasting this a month into Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman being put together?
2: I mean, I just feel like they did that for the enjoyment of the crowd because Paul had just given us so much shit during the, this, this whole time. Paul was the one that, you know, uh, he had Brock, you know, he stuck Brock on us and had Brock attack us. And then we fought back and we did this. And then Paul's doing creepy things to a member of Team Extreme and all this stuff, whatever. You know, so I just feel like it was the comeuppance for the Hardy boys to get their hands on Paul. I feel like that's why that was probably pushed in there because I, I'm, I'm also pretty adamant that is just how Vince wanted it as well. If uh, if my recollection serves me right, he, he wanted Paul to get in and like get his ass beat a little bit. We're like we were going to beat Paul and like win that tag team match.
1: You think Vince likes seeing Paul Heyman get beat up a little bit? Uh,
2: he loves it. I'm sure <laughs> he, he loves it.
1: <laughs> Especially knowing their history. I'm sure it was something he very much enjoyed. Hey, listen, man, when you're a manager, you got to go all in if you're going to do a match. You got to get in ring shape. I'm, I'm experiencing that right now. I'm trying to get in ring shape, Matt. And you know how I'm doing it?
2: You're drinking your AG1s.
1: You are damn right I'm drinking my AG1s every single day. And I'm sure if Paul Heyman were to wrestle today, he would be doing the same thing as well. Because AG1s is one product that I can drink every single day to make sure that I am feeling unstoppable when I go on my four to five mile walk in the morning. Did you know I'm doing that now, by the way? I'm walking uh, through I, my mouth.
2: I love to hear it. So yeah. you're, you're, you're preparing for that in-ring return, huh? That's
1: right. We haven't even announced it yet. So there's a little tease for you because I gotta get ready, man. I gotta make sure my hair doesn't get messed up as well. While AG1 doesn't help me with that, it does make me feel like I will be ring ready because I am getting comprehensive nutrients for whole body health. AG1 replaces your multivitamin probiotic and more in one simple drinkable habit. We know that people will go to the drug stores, they'll go to the vitamin shops, they'll purchase all these different supplements. How convenient is it for you, Matt Hardy, that ag ones is all in one?
2: It is of the ultimate convenience because ag ones is just a one and done. And you know I'm all about one and done, John. I love that. I don't have to bring along vitamins. I don't have to bring along supplements. I don't have to bring the whole pack of pills. I just take my AG1s, I put it in my water, I mix it up, and I drink it, boom, I'm done for the day. And it kicks my day off right every single day.
1: Just one daily serving gives me the comprehensive foundational nutrition I need. Supports energy, focus, recovery, aging, clarity with 75 high-quality vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients and we want to help you out here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. If you're looking for a simpler, effective investment for your health, try AG1 and how many free travel packs are you getting with your first purchase, Matt Hardy?
2: Five cinco five cinco five free travel
1: packs. And you're also getting a free one year supply of vitamin D. So go to drinkag1.com forward slash hardy. That's drinkag1.com forward slash hardy and we thank AG1 for sponsoring the extreme life. Let's keep moving along here, Matt. So Before you that- do, though, John, I'm so- going to
2: interject real quick, Jeez. just because we did. How many free travel packs you get with that? Uh, at WrestleCon, we came around up from the table and took a picture with a couple uh, people in wheelchairs and hung out with them. There was a little group of people that were down the line, probably 10, 15 people, whatever. They said, that was an amazing picture. It was, and they did it in unison. Five, Cinco, five, Cinco, five stars picture way to go and i said oh thank you for listening to the podcast (laughs) i had to throw that story in
1: we're half ass over baby we're half ass over i love it i'm sure that pops you a little bit when you're at these signings right absolutely it's good to know people care at least some people out there do (laughs) (laughs) let's keep going so that is the end of you guys and Rock at this time did you feel like this was mission accomplished with what you set out to do?
2: Yeah, I mean it. It they were they were everybody was happy with it, and I feel like shortly thereafter we did this. We ended up winning a set of tag titles again. Like maybe it was our reward for for doing this and being successful. So you know that that's what WWE, especially at that time, more than any other time. You know, you go and you do something, and sometimes you put somebody else over, and then you do it to the best of your ability, and then you're rewarded for it going forward it's uh it's up and down man pro wrestling is a cosine curve man it's a cosine curve you just got to ride the wave where it takes you and just make the most of every opportunity
1: brock had a chance to work with you on some house shows at this time too as you guys were overseas what yeah. did you pick up from working with him in front of those non televised events
2: i mean th- those were great because i think cuz they I was allowed to have more competitive matches with him because they wanted him to have more competitive matches, and they trust me once again to be a guy who would work smart and still keep him looking like you know the you know the next big thing, but also still being able to go out and have a competitive match with him. So that was that was great that the Vince and company trusted me to to do that with him, and I enjoyed it. They were very very fun matches.
1: Did you feel like he was learning on the fly, that he was picking things up quickly? absolutely yeah
2: and he was such a natural at it as it was anyway he he was definitely learning on the fly
1: he's on a rocket ship and he eventually finds his way into the main event of SummerSlam, where he defeats the rock to become the youngest wwe champion ever to that point what was what a
2: trajectory this guy's on
1: right what was the reaction of the locker room to his ascension to him becoming the guy who were his biggest supporters in the locker room? I'd love to get a feel for how things were in perception as far as Brock's meteoric rise.
2: I mean, I, I don't know who was you know was the biggest supporter of Brock. I, I, I definitely know Vince saw him as a big deal. Once again, I talked about how he was like Vince's dream wrestler in the big scheme of things. So obviously, Vince was a huge supporter of his. And everybody that was there, it seemed like he seemed very legit. They were okay. With him having that insane trajectory to the top and winning the world title and like capping off this amazing, you know, journey by beating The Rock, who's one of the hottest guys in the business at that time.
1: Because he's overstepping a lot of people, Matt. Of course. He's overstepping you. He's overstepping a lot of other people who have been there longer. They're trying to fight for that top prize.
2: Even and- even looking back in hindsight, though, he deserved he deserved to, to be there. He, he was a guy that was going to make money, and he deserved to be there, and that was a good call by Vince.
1: And that was a sentiment that most people shared? Yeah. Sometimes talent's just undeniable, right?
2: Absolutely. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a special talent. He's a very, very, very special talent.
1: You get a chance to work with him shortly after, a couple of times as you're doing your transformation into V1 after Survivor Series, you tell him that he wouldn't have lost to Big Show if he just had more matitude. And when you say this to him, he throws you through a wall. It's a pretty memorable segment on SmackDown at that time. Who came up with the idea for that? And did you notice a difference in him at that point in November versus when you worked with him in April?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, he he definitely, he, he was in the know at this time. He he was like, a, you know, it was like an old vet that had been around. he kind he kind of understood how things were and how things worked and also vent also uh, not only Vince but you know Paul was constantly in his ear telling him like this is what you should do this is how I should act this and they were trying to groom him on how to be a legitimate top guy and how to protect yourself and how to act and how you treat other talent and the different hierarchies of talent and whatnot. So yeah it was it was cool it was cool doing that. I remember that was a very memorable moment it was fun and it was very fitting for a Matt Hardy version one as well. And I don't even know if you had this in the notes. I don't think you did, but we did a deal where at WrestleMania 19, when he went to do the shooting star press, you know, half-ass letter on his head, and fortunately wasn't hurt, and they ended up ending that match, whatnot. I got to call him out as Matt Hardy V1 the following week, and I'll say, I'm the cruiserweight champion this time, right? I beat Ray at WrestleMania to return, retain. And I go, look, Brock, if you'll put all this you know, you're claiming, you know, you have this fake injury. If you start faking injury and stop ducking me, you know, let's have a battle to see who the real champion is. You know, you're the heavyweight champion. I'm the world lightweight champion. Let's find out who the real world champion is. I challenge you to a match. And we ended up having a match, which was the main event of a SmackDown. And a lot of people talk about that one chair shot that we did or the chair shot myself injected to him. This was also a pretty memorable chair shot. Do you know what I'm talking about, yep. John? Mm-hmm. Uh, so – This has a hell of a story to it. We have this match, and Brock is beat up at this time, right? His ribs are very badly bruised, and this is coming through the WrestleMania match, and, you know, obviously his neck is still hurt to a degree. And and I remember we're jumping him because he's going into a thing with Big Show coming up very soon. I'm jumping him. He's going to the ring, myself and Shannon. And I'll never forget, he was, like, super cranky this day, right? He said, look, whenever you hit me with that chair in the back, he said, don't leave me my ribs. He said, if you hit me with my lower ribs, they're, like, bruised. I think they're broken just hit me high in my back. All right, you got it, you got it. He was really, really testy, wasn't in a good mood. and He was like burnout from being on the road and being hurt. And whenever myself and Shannon came running down to attack him from behind, I swung high and just almost as he absorbed or whatever, I cracked him in the back of the head. I think his head leaned back a little bit and I probably swung high too because he had yelled at me not to hit him low. And uh, I split his uh, head open to the skull. And I'll never forget, Shannon did the next chair shot behind me and he was like, dink. He's like, oh my God. <laughs> And I remember throwing him in the ring, and he did this thing where he threw us together. Shannon and I were holding him. He threw us together so the show couldn't get him and get rid of the show, whatever. We came back. Now, keep in mind, we have like a short segment, and then I'm going to face him. He comes back, and he's like, what the fuck? Oh, my God, are you what? are you kidding me? Fucking, what? What just happened out there? And he's mad, and I'm like sitting there and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I remember Finlay said, calm down. Calm down. We're going to go talk about this. We're going to go talk about this. And I remember he took them, took them off for a minute. And we had a spot that we are gonna do at the very beginning of the match, me and Shannon, where Brock goes to the ring first. And now he still does. We don't talk to him anymore. We kind of had what we are gonna do together in the match, but now he's irate. You know, he is just, he is irate. He is fuming. And he's going to the ring. Shannon and I, we're going down, we're jumping. I said, all right, you ready? Let's go both attack him at first before the bell rings. And then I was gonna say, let's go. And then we start running and then Shannon slides in the ring and I stop short. And then he beats up Shannon right from the jump. And I'll never forget, Shannon Moore came up to me and said, hey, man, can can we change the, the beginning of, of that match now? Can, do I still have to go in the ring and face him first? I said, no, man, you're going to be my whole litmus test for this. Like, I'm going <laughs> to see how bad I'm getting my ass whipped first and foremost. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'll never forget. Uh, he went out there, head just still bleeding like crazy. Uh, we went in there. We had the match. Very stiff, uh, very aggressive the whole while, but still very safe, and we got through it. And we spoke to one another afterwards. He went to the hospital. He got stapled up and stitched up. And I talked to him afterwards, and we were cool. But that was a very tense moment. You know, whenever I did that and nailed Brock, and he was back there fuming, just so so. Uh, uh, he was so irate. I can't. I, it's hard to put into words.
1: Did he have an understanding yeah. of what happened?
2: Yeah, he he did later. I mean, he was just he was just living the moment, man. And and I get it. I get, I would have been mad too, uh, especially, you know, if, if that happens. But you know, he, he he did. He got it, and like we were we were all cool after that. But man, uh it was one of those things. I laid in that chair shot and they caught him right right in the bottom of the head and split him all the way to his skull. And then he did that match afterwards. I was like, I mean, because I'm I'm saying this too, like I can take care of myself, but if this guy wanted to murder me, being the badass athlete he is, he could have murdered You're me, you. are know? screwed, yeah. But 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 fortunately everything was good and uh you know. It was one of the stiffer matches of my career. Very, very aggressive. I had a UFC fight with Brock Lesnar, so to say, out there. But but I got through it okay.
1: The shooting star press spot at WrestleMania where he nearly kills himself. Probably one of the more scariest spots you're ever going to see. And it's a miracle. Pro- Honestly, probably only walked away from it because of how he trains and how he's built. Uh, what was that like backstage and everyone saw what happened to him that night?
2: Scary. Very, very, very scary. I remember there was uh, one point afterwards once we knew he was okay. And uh, I remember Ron Simmons, who I love. I do so many Comic-Cons and stuff with Ron now, and it's always great to see Ron Simmons. But I remember he said, I don't know, man. I told that guy, man. He said, you know, he was listening to show too much, man. Down at OVW, they had, they had this big monster out there flipping out. And he went out there and he flipped out. He flipped out. He flipped out and he would he would hit me with that all the time when I would be doing something with Brock or whatever, especially when I was I mean, not, I want don't let him flip out. Don't let him flip out. And uh, it, it's one of those things, too, where I, I, I applaud Brock for attempting that. I think he was trying to create a WrestleMania moment. I understand why he did it. But the fact that that happened and then he decided like, OK, well, I'm not going to do that anymore because I don't need to do that anymore and I can work smarter and just be more of who I truly am uh i i almost feel like that was the whole purpose for that happening to him in so many ways because it changed the way he worked
1: well, the rumor and innuendo is that he didn't even want to do the spot and that john Laurinaitis pretty much needled him until he accepted the fact that he'd be doing it in the match and you can and- I mean, you can see when brock's up there if you watch the spot he's got shaky legs he hasn't done it in a while he's not feeling comfortable up right. there and I mean you can I, I,
2: I, I, yeah i don't know the legitimacy behind that of, of what is going on but i mean I, I i got the point of doing it to like create this insane wrestlemania moment that sure. be over and over but and you over
1: can over. provide the perspective of when you're doing a top rope move like that you got to commit all the way you can't have shaky legs you can't have that hesitance to go over because if that happens look what results
2: in have of you been course. in
1: that situation before
2: i mean too you have to keep in mind i mean he he was already self-proclaimed very beat up at this time just from working his body was beat up because you know he he's an athlete who goes all in whenever he works and bumps and does whatever so he he, he was beat up so it's, it's different man uh you know the the deeper you get into this journey i i feel like the the smarter it is to kind of pillow away things that like have a decent chance of going awry in pro wrestling and uh you know that was I think that was the greatest lesson learned out of that just that that is something that he doesn't need to do yeah it would be cool if he could do it but like at the the end of the day that's that's not who he is he is a, a, a machine of destruction who goes out there and out wrestles people and just beats the shit out of them
1: well things go south for him in WWE shortly after that only a week before Wrestlemania 20 Rumors began to surface that he was going to be leaving WWE to pursue a career in the NFL. And as we know, his match with Goldberg at WrestleMania 20 is an absolute disaster. It's one of the more infamous matches in history. And that's his goodbye. He leaves. He cites burnout, injuries, creative, an addiction to alcohol and painkillers, the travel schedule. He's just out. Where do you remember Brock being at at that stage? And did you ever get a sense that Vince felt a little betrayed by the guy that he invested so much in just pretty much jumping ship and leaving.
2: I, I, I'm not sure how Vince felt. Uh but I, I do know that Brock was legitimately burned at that time and he was just he was ready to, to go. He was ready to leave. He did that deal where he had bought a private plane and he would just fly in on his own. Uh he would fly out as soon as he was done doing whatever it was doing. I know he was trying to do a a set number of dates and he was just trying to get through the remainder of his contract. And and once again, it was very much a reminder of how much he would be like my brother, especially if my brother gets burnt out in a scenario. Uh, my, My brother likes to be a recluse. He likes to be a hermit, just kind of hang and do his own thing, kind of not be seen, not be heard for, not be on the grid and not be in the public eye. And Brock was really like that at that time. You know, once in a while, I'd interact with him and talk and shoot the shit, whatever, because we always got along fine. But he he was definitely in burnout and he was definitely ready to go. And I remember too thinking, especially around that time, that was what two thousand four, two thousand five ish. Two thousand four. Yeah, that that was. I mean, that's really when the internet became super relevant and people learning information and access to contract data and when contracts were ending and when angles were happening and whatnot and that really made a huge impact on pro wrestling in general that was a a changing of the time so to say when fans were able to arm themselves with information from the internet and then use it live at shows and that was one of those first times that i remember happening really strongly so he
1: does indeed pursue the nfl he gets a look with the minnesota vikings in the preseason but he's cut but still just i couldn't wrap my head around this at the time man so indicative of the type of athlete he is right that he doesn't play football for like four years and is able to get on a preseason roster for an nfl team after never played in college none of that just is able to step on he's just a freak
0: yeah
1: and he has a short run in new japan after he's cut from the nfl and then he turns his eyes to the octagon he's signed by ufc and a little more than a year into his run he defeats Randy Couture to become UFC World Heavyweight Champion. He carries that into unification bout at UFC 100 against Frank Mir, who he defeats to become the undisputed UFC World Heavyweight Champion. The pay-per-view does 1.6 million buys. It's one of the most watched combat sports shows in history. Was that on a lot of your guys' radars at the time when he was making that jump there into the UFC world? And I'd love to know how that was received from within the locker room with him actually finding success there.
2: Yeah, it was on a lot of the wrestler's radar. Because most guys who knew Brock liked him, most guys who had relationships with him or, you know, worked with him, whatever. Most guys got along good with him. <clears throat> and we knew being such a freaky athlete as he was, he had the opportunity to do really good there. You know, and we we thought he could he could find a measure of success, but we never thought he would like become the UFC heavyweight champion. And he became Uh, a huge attraction while I was there. And he added so much equity to his own brand and his own name by going there and winning the UFC Heavyweight Championship. And yeah, I I remember whenever he would fight, guys would want to get together and we'd want to go to a restaurant where we could all sit down and watch his fight or or whatever after a show, after a house show.
1: And I feel like it's a little bit of endorsement of pro wrestling too. It's like, yeah, you say we're fake fighters. Look at this. This guy's the most dominant fighter in the world and he started as a pro wrestler. Correct. I think think that's something that, made him even more of an attraction. Eventually, he returns to WWE in 2012. And while his first couple of years back were a little up and down in terms of booking, he defeats The Undertaker at WrestleMania 30 in one of the most shocking moments in wrestling history to break the streak. What was your reaction to it, Matt? You weren't there at the time, but it was the talk of the town and the entire industry. And with the benefit of hindsight, was it the right call for Brock to be the one to break uh, the
2: it, it was a shocking moment, and I was almost surprised it happened when it did happen. But just a, few, a, a couple weeks later, I was like, I, I think it was a good call. And looking back in hindsight, I definitely think it was a good call, especially because Brock has came back. Because look, look at all the pe- – there's people that benefited from that. I mean, Brock getting that rub from Taker and ending the streak – Roman ended up benefiting from it because Brock did the business with him. Cody just recently ended up benefiting from it because Brock did the business with him. I mean, it it really made him, like, legitimate, and it made him such a threat to just – you're giving such a great – you're given such a great gift when you have something like that. You end someone's undefeated streak, or you – Take the title, like whoever beats Roman Reigns for the World Heavyweight title is going to add so much equity to them as well. You know, it's a big deal. So the Undertaker thing had so much built into it. And for Brock to be the one to beat it, he was legitimate. He could have done it. It's a former UFC Heavyweight Champion as well. And then he's willing to work and do business going forward and put other people over. So I think it was a win-win.
1: I think it elevated Brock. And that's pretty crazy because Brock was pretty damn elevated already. And I think it took him to a whole nother level as a box office attraction. He was a guy that got big reactions when he came back. He became a major pro wrestling attraction that people were willing to pay a lot of money to see when he beat the streak. Uh, He then goes on to have a pretty polarizing run, mostly as a heel, where his matches mostly all follow the same formula. He gets rid of his moveset from his first run. It's primarily just punches, a Kimura lock, some German suplexes, and F5s. He's gone from TV for months at a time while still champion, and that changes the whole way WWE books championships. How do you feel about that period of time, especially as you saw it firsthand upon returning to WWE in 2017?
2: I I don't mind it, especially how he changed his arsenal, where he was doing... Uh, wrestling, UFC stuff, beating people up. I think coming off a run as a UFC champ, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm way cool with that. Uh, as far as being the champion and taking extensive time off, uh, I, I'm i not the craziest about that. I, I think it's cool for him to be champion. Maybe you have a short run, whatever. I think if you do have someone that is a champion, hopefully they are making a majority of the shows because that's kind of like the whole goal of the champion they're there to draw people into the arena but you know it is a different world that we live in now and and i and i get why they do it because they're a big deal we got to look at roman reigns right now you know same same type, uh, same type of argument for that. You know, he's a champion, but only does a select number of appearances. It would be nice to have that champion at all the shows. And I would imagine that's kind of the role Seth Rollins has st- stepped into right now, where he is the the touring champion that is always there. And you're going, "Oh my God, we got to go see the WWE champion," which is Seth Rollins right now. But I mean, they're 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 big stars who can command that, and and I can't hate them for that because if I could do it, I would love to do it as well.
1: What was Brock like to be around? The second time around in
2: the company, uh, fine, just friendly. He just he knew who he was at this point. He's turned into like a legitimate businessman. Like I have, uh, I have this this talent that I offer you, and I I have this star power that I offer you. So you pay me for this, I will come in, I will work whoever, and then when it's time, I will do business and and I will leave. So he knew who he was. He was very comfortable with it, and uh, and so did Vince. And they 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 knew he was a box office attraction. So he was worth forking out dollars to, to bring him in and have him on the current roster. Is he a little more private? Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think he was a little more private, but always oh, just friendly. Always oh, friendly. He's just there. He he knew who he was. And uh, he, he would, I, I think this has been a thing with Brock for a long time. And I could see it. If Jeff could probably command this thing, he would do it as well. Like, no, I want to go in first just so I can get the fuck out of there. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're very similar in, in, in that capacity.
1: I get it, man. Sometimes you just want to get out of the building early. Got to go home. You got stuff to do. It's I you want to boost. It.
2: You want to boost them. That's
1: that's right. He's forty six years old now. He has had another baby face run as the country farmer ass kicker. It's Bounced between baby and heel. How much value do you think he currently, with his active presentation, brings to WWE?
2: He's still extremely valuable. Still extremely valuable. I think.
1: But like now, we're seeing him more authentically, Brock Lesnar. Like he, we're embracing this country bumpkin farmer guy, and we've
2: seen. I, him. I, I, I think this is where pro wrestling just currently is right now. Mm-hmm. They're looking for the most authentic version of yourself. That's even why I said I was like rebranding that, opposed to just like really, this is who I am in my day to day life, and 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 get to know me. And and I feel like that's just that's almost what pro wrestling is right now, more than anything else.
1: What is Brock Lesnar's legacy, Matt?
2: I mean, just a a, a a one-of-a-kind, they say generational athlete. I feel like he definitely fits the bill when it comes to that. He's a generational athlete who is the scariest, most explosive, uh, extremely strong, but also extremely fast, most explosive athlete I've ever been in the ring with, Uh, the most dangerous-feeling athlete I've ever done some sort of combat sport with. And I think he will go down as someone who was extremely gifted as an athlete, was extremely gifted in pro wrestling, was able to pick it up very quickly, became the next big thing, and was a big deal. And showed how compatible he was because he left, he went to UFC, uh, he became the the champion there. Hell, he almost made the NFL after not even playing football. <laughs> you know, it just shows how much of a freak athlete he was. But then came back to WWE, beat Taker into the streak, which was a big deal, which did continue to elevate him and and put more equity into his brand and then he went on to become a guy who is known as a box office draw but also is willing to do business and help other people so he's going to be he's going to be a big deal in 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 history in the history of wrestling he's going to be a guy that was a someone that was truly a truly a draw that sold tickets and also was willing to give back if the price was right
1: Big Money Brock over there
2: Big Money Brock for sure
1: I think Brock Lesnar is the greatest athlete in pro wrestling history. I, well, I, I wouldn't argue with that. I think it's pretty straightforward, quite frankly. And people got tired of the Brock being away for so long, then coming back, having a match, then leaving for so long. But I think when Brock's gone for good, a lot of fans will look back and be like, man, that guy was truly one of the most special talents I've ever seen on TV.
2: And
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I think his versatility is pretty incredible as well. You got time for a few Ask Matt questions from the gallery here?
2: Sure, yeah. Let's hit a couple.
1: All right, let's get to it. Samah asked, how quick is Brock Lesnar in the ring? Does he adapt to different ring styles?
2: Yes, I mean, he, he he did adapt to different ring styles, and he's quick as an athlete. I mean, one of the things I can say is, like I remember when we were talking about a positioning for an F5 one time, And we were sitting there said, I could feed you this way. And I kind of leaned in. But I just remember he like leaned in and picked me up so fast and so explosive. And that's the word I just – that's the first word that comes to my mind when I think about describing him as an athlete. He's explosive because he's extremely powerful yet extremely fast. It was just like – especially in my younger days when I was one of Team Extreme and the Hardy Boys and I was healthy and before I did – sentence myself to doing two decades of leg drops i mean i was like in the ring and i was like pretty fast and this guy's weighs way more than me but he's as fast as i am or faster than i am and i'm like what the shit you know this was this was a sight to behold
1: dylan wants to know is brock's rookie year the best matt has ever seen
2: i think so i can't think of anyone who's had a better rookie year i don't know can you john is there anyone that stands out
1: In terms of accomplishments, no, Brock is the best ever. Um, I think you could maybe argue in terms of picking it up, you could maybe put Kurt in that conversation. Him and Kurt probably neck and neck, but I still think the way that Brock elevated and rose in such a short period of time, it's.
2: Yeah, I I would still, I'd still forget with Brock. I can't think of anyone who accomplished what he did in such a short amount of time.
1: Brock or Kurt became champion within a year, though which is right up there. So, uh, but yeah, Brock, I mean, I, I think it's pretty hard to argue against that. Uh, Michael, were you just a little worried about wrestling with a young and not so inex, pardon me, were you just a little worried about wrestling with a young and not so experienced Brock Lesnar? Uh,
2: I wasn't at that time, no. I mean, maybe I would think differently now <laughs> because I, I, I'm i more concerned about my health and well-being uh, and 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 how I'm going to, be able to take things and how this guy's going to protect me or be safe with me. But, but back then I wasn't. And he was, he was very careful. He was always very safe. So I, I, I I feel like whoever did the majority of his training right from the jump in OVW did a really good job.
1: Fun one from Adam here. Would you rather manage the clean shaven next big thing Brock Lesnar as big money Matt, or would you rather team with today's off the grid, crazy lumberjack Brock Lesnar as broken Matt Hardy?
2: (laughs) I would rather team with uh, the off the grid, Lumberjack, Brock, as Broken Matt Hardy, without a doubt.
1: Broken Brock would be kind of fun.
2: Yeah. I'd like. I just do all that I can to say things in promos that would make him break. (laughs) Make him break and crack a smile.
1: Well, that's what I love about his current run is that he has shown a sense of humor. He's shown some personality. And that's stuff that we never really saw from Brock when Paul Heyman was there with him. Right. I think that helps elevate him as a performer even today. He's continuing to evolve. Uh, Brad asks, did Matt and Brock ever talk about food? Odd question, but I can only imagine the diet back in the day to now for Brock. Uh,
2: no, I, I, I never really got into that conversation with him. Uh, besides, one time we saw him at a at a Cracker Barrel, and uh, I think we were both eating the grilled chicken tenderloins. That's probably that's probably the extent of our food conversations.
1: I feel like Brock has quite the diet, quite a bit of protein in that diet.
2: I mean, I'm I'm sure I'm sure he he's all in on it. I'll
1: Have to cook Brock
2: a steak someday.
1: Uh SZSJWS six six six. When you and Jeff were told that Heyman would be the one pinning Jeff, did that rub you guys the wrong way in any kind of way? And was Brock humble and respectful of your knowledge when putting that match together?
2: Yeah, Brock was always humble and respectful during that period. And uh no, it, it didn't rub Jeff in the wrong way at all. Jeff thought it was gonna be Jeff thought it was gonna be funny. He was he was he was here for it.
1: And last question here comes from Sean. What do we need to do to get Brock in AEW? (laughs)
2: Uh, I I would say like uh, the gimmick that the butcher and the blade play on TV. They say like they're, they're hitman, They're guys who go out and know whoever's willing to pay the biggest bucks. So they'll go work for that guy and then take out the competition or whatever. That's what Brock is. (laughs) Brock knows his value. He knows his worth. So I guess, uh, I guess uh, Tony Tony Khan would have to shell out the big bucks, you know. But we, we'll see, too. I, I would have, I would guess that Brock ha- feels uh, a bit of a, an allegiance to Vince. And I feel like he he feels pretty faithful to Vince at the end of the deal because he feels like Vince is taking pretty good care of him. So I could see him being a WWE lifer. But uh, if Tony was going to somehow procure Brock and he was going to come to AEW, he would just have to shell out the big bucks.
1: Give me three AEW matches for Brock
2: three aw matches for brock i'd love to see brock and kenny omega
0: mm-hmm.
2: um i'd like to see brock and Wardlow. okay um and i would like to see brock i would <laughs> i don't know if i want to say that um <laughs> I was going to say Bro- Brock and Satnam Singh. I would almost want to see that just for <laughs> the novelty of it and see Satnam Singh take an F5. So it's I'll go a, ahead and throw it out there. It's
1: a little personal now for you with Satnam after uh, he did. He deleted your spinal discs.
2: He, you he, he yeeted and deleted me.
1: He did yeet and delete you. Um, I agree with one of them. Kenny, for sure, 100%. Brock, Kenny, huge match. Gonna give you two others, right? Orange Cassidy. Because Orange Cassidy and Brock, I think, would have an unbelievable match.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think Orange would pull so much out of Brock personality wise in a match like that. He would sell like crazy for him. And then the comeback with Brock and, and OC would be a sight to be seen. And then the one that honestly I probably would want to see most, man, Darby Allen. Hmm. I think Darby Allen as David versus Brock's Goliath, where Darby will sell like an mf'er, uh, Right. And then eventually you build to his comeback. Where Brock, when he's into something, even if it's a smaller guy, Brock bumps like crazy for them. I think it would be a star-making performance for Darby Allen.
2: That's a good, good cause. I, it'd also be very interesting to see a, uh, a Brock Lesnar-MJF matchup too. Yeah,
1: for sure. For sure, I'd be very into that as well. Fun episode here, Matt. Anything else you'd like to add on Brock Lesnar?
2: No, I'm good, man. We've uh, a fun discussion. Fun looking back at uh, at the 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 time and space that I have spent with Brock Lesnar over the years.
1: It's pretty crazy to think how much time you have indeed spent with Brock Lesnar especially in the early goings, and people don't necessarily think about it. Next week, you ready for this one? We're going to do something very different next week, something we have not really ventured into at all on this podcast. The only time we really talked at length about TNA and impact on this podcast was during the Becoming Broken series. But next week on the podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into your one-year run in 2011 in TNA. And there's going to be some pretty interesting stories because you were at a very unique point in not just your career, but your life as well. And I figure we'll get some sort mm-hmm. of insight into some of the things that you were going through at the time. What kind of tease can you give us for that episode?
2: There's a lot of interesting details. That was a, that was a very formative year in, in my life, for sure. A lot of, a lot of lessons learned uh, about how to kind of keep it between the lines you know, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting episode. So at least
1: I love when we talk about real things on this podcast and I have a feeling next week we will be getting into that conversation as well. And we really enjoyed everyone who tuned into this particular episode on adfreeshows.com top guys top gals thank you for your support adfreeshows.com is where you get the extreme life and Matt hardy early and you can also join us at advertisewithhardy.com promote your business to the extreme get it out in front of thousands of listeners and viewers every single week just head over to advertisewithhardy.com matt i'm not going to keep you anymore i know you got a big match tonight to prepare for so good luck to you my friend anything else you'd like to say to the extreme life faithful
2: Thank you guys for tuning in each and every week. We uh, we are very grateful to have you here.
1: The words have been spoken. We'll see you next week right here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. it!